Welcome back to the End Times Countdown. I am your host, Pastor Matt Nichols of River Valley Prayer Center, and I have been waiting for this podcast for a while now. It just amazes me every time I read this account from a man named Joe Brandt. And this is the same Joe Brandt that had the vision of a coming earthquake in 1937. And I just get a kick out of reading his account of this vision, this dream that he had, because it's written actually in the language of the 1930s. So in order to really understand this this vision, this prophecy, you have to actually go back and understand the language, um, which to me, after I read this again, so much more of this made sense, and so much more of this just reeks of today in our society and where we are. It's amazing. So we got to find out, first of all, then, who is Joe Brandt? Who is this guy? Is there a real Joe Brandt? There's so many people that like to question these things. So let's look at this. Um, and after a little bit of research, it was actually pretty easy to find that there is a Joseph Wendell Brandt that was born in November of 1919 and died in July of 1995, who lived in Fresno, California. And he would have been about 17 years old most of the year of 1937, which would have made sense. He still would have been in high school. He still would have, all of the things in his account would have been really relative and on point for this vision. This same Joseph Wendell Brandt also served in the Army during World War II. He listed at age 24 in 1944. He was also married, and the one who actually recorded this vision, recorded the dream, was a friend of Joe's wife, whose name was Jessica Madigan, around the late 1960s. So this vision's been around, actually recorded, since around the late 1960s. So this had to have been some type of verbatim account, or maybe even a written account that Joe wrote early on after this vision occurred. So really, right, there's a few schools of thought here. Either this whole thing's fabricated and completely made up and it's just a really good sci-fi thriller from 1937, or it could have been embellished a bit, or it is legit and it is literally a verbatim vision that the Lord gave to a man named Joe Brandt at 17 years old in a Fresno hospital. I can't help but to think that it must be the real deal just because of the things that are put in this. I mean, it'd just be so hard to make this stuff up, to think about these things and how real it is for today. One of the things that I think is really cool about this too is there's really no evidence that Joseph Wendell Brandt was even saved if he was what we call born again, if he was a Christian, which to me is even more amazing because again, like we've been talking about since the beginning of these podcasts, God is so merciful and it's so amazing how he is warning us and he'll use every method, every vessel available in order to have mercy on the world and to warn the masses about things that are coming. Amazing how merciful he is. So with all that said, let me give the backstory on this vision, how this came about. Joe Brandt was out apparently riding a horse. This is 1937, so this is probably how everybody got around. This is uh, right in the midst of the Great Depression right before the Second World War. So everybody is moving to California. Everybody's riding horses. They're still using buggies. They're still using horse-drawn 
wagons and and so on and so forth so this you know it makes sense that he would be on a horse he's probably riding to school he's probably you know doing something like that and so while he's riding his horse his horse throws him and it's of course his horse has got to be named blackie (laughs) that's a good name for a 1937 horse right so his horse named blackie throws him and apparently he suffers some type of concussion some type of head injury Right. So again, here come the skeptics and the fact checkers. So, oh, that's where this dream came from. Well, you know, sometimes it's easier for God to speak to us while we're asleep or in our subconscious, because when we're awake, we're such doubters. We're such unbelievers. Even people that are saved folk are still such unbelievers that they still don't give him even a moment to speak to them or through them. So, hey, if you're laying in the bed and you're sedated and unconscious and at some point or for a while what better time to give a person a vision many people in fact i would say most people don't really have visions most people that you'll even read about or hear about usually have dreams rather than visions and it's a time when your body when your brain is quieted down and your body's rebuilding and it's re-energizing and the brain activity is actually shut down what greater time for the creator of the universe to speak to your spirit man that's in there and reveal things to you and through you than when you're shut down and you can actually believe it and allow it to happen isn't that amazing Man, what we could do if we could harness that type of relationship with God Almighty while we're awake. Be amazing, wouldn't it? All right, so that's the backstory. He's on his horse. He suffers some kind of head injury. He's in the hospital. He's laid up. He's still a kid, got all kinds of energy. And here he is, stuck in the bed, sedated some. And this is where the vision comes in. And so he said it this way, and we'll begin it like this. This is probably going to be cut up in several portions because it's just so long and there's so many different parts and aspects to it. But we're going to cover this first part in this podcast. And here's how it begins. So he says, I remember vaguely the fall from my horse, Blackie. And as I lay there, pictures began to form in my mind. Pictures that moved with the speed of lightning. Pictures that revolved. Pictures that stood still. I seemed to be in another world. Whether it was the future or whether it was some ancient land, I could not say. Then slowly, like the silver screen of the talkies, okay, so you have to remember the 1930s language. These were silent movies. Talkies were called silent movies. So then slowly, like the silver screen of the talkies, but with color and smell and sound, I seemed to find myself in Los Angeles. It was Los Angeles... But it was bigger, much bigger, and buses and odd-shaped cars crowded the city streets. I thought about Hollywood Boulevard, and I found myself there, on Hollywood Boulevard. Whether this is true, I don't know, but there were a lot of guys about my age with beards and wearing, some of them, earrings. All the girls wore real short skirts, and they slouched along, moving like a dance. I wondered if I could talk to them, and I said hello, but they didn't hear or see me. I decided that I would look as funny to them as they looked to me, (laughs) which is the truth. I tried for a while that crazy kind of walk. What's that crazy kind of walk? They were slouched over and were walking. He describes in a weird way, kind of as slouched over like a dance almost. 
And he said, I tried for a while that crazy kind of walk. I guess it's something that you have to learn. I couldn't do it. I noticed there was a quietness about the air, a kind of stillness. Something else was missing, something that should be there. At first, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what it was. Then I did. There were no birds. I listened. I walked two blocks north on the boulevard. All houses, no birds. I wonder what happened to them. Had they gone away? Where? Again, I could hear the stillness. I had never experienced anything like it. I listened, just the stillness. Then I knew something was going to happen. I wondered what year it was. It certainly was not 1937. I saw a newspaper on the corner with a picture of the president. It surely wasn't Mr. Roosevelt. He was bigger, heavier, big ears, <laughs> which is interesting. If it wasn't 1937, I wondered what year it was. It looked like 1969, but I wasn't sure. My eyes weren't working right. So that's an interesting thought, 1969, for this type of thing to happen. And so obviously it couldn't have been 1969 because no worldwide, international, earthquake, volcanic, chaotic event happened anywhere in 1969. It's interesting that he said that his eyes were blurred and they weren't working right. So what really did he see? I think it's interesting how there's 1969 with those numbers being really close to each other with zeros all in the middle. But that's my speculation. And then he woke up and he called it a crazy dream. And here was the comment about it. He said, my headache is worse. It's a wonder I didn't get killed on that horse. I've had another crazy dream back in Hollywood. Those people, why do they dress like that, I wonder? I found myself back on the boulevard. I was waiting for something to happen. Something big was going to happen, and I was going to be there. I looked up at the clock down by that big theater. It was ten minutes to four. Something big was going to happen. I walked down the street. In the concrete in front of the theater, they had names of stars. I recognized a few of them. I remember this was 1937. The other names I had never heard of. <laughs> I was getting bored. I wanted to get back to the hospital in Fresno, and I wanted to stay there on the boulevard, even if nobody could see me. Those crazy kids. Why are they dressed like that? Maybe it is some big Halloween doings, but it didn't seem like Halloween, more like early spring. And there was that sound again, that lack of sound, stillness, stillness, stillness. Don't these people know that the birds have gone somewhere? The quiet is getting bigger and bigger. I know it is going to happen. Something is going to happen. Something is happening now. And that was the end of that portion of the vision. What's interesting is this dream, these dreams, these series of dreams happened one right back of another one. So he would have a dream, wake up for a spell, write it down and just sit and think and ponder about it. And then when he dozed off again, he would have another dream that picked up exactly where that one left off. And it would go for its, for its duration, and then it would end, and so on and so forth. So this is actually accumulation of several dreams that he had had. Pretty intense. So in this episode, I really just wanted to cover the very first part of this and give some validity to what he is saying and what he's seeing in this dream. It's absolutely amazing. 
Because again, 1937, there's no way that you can see these kind of things and actually know what they mean. So I'm going to try to look at some of these and just put out here how relative these things are to where we are today. The first thing when I read this again was amazing was again Los Angeles, but it was way bigger and there were buses and odd shaped cars. So you remember 1937, what they had the Model A, they had the Model T. They had a few cars. They had some some big fendered, you know, big Mercuries, big Fords, and so on. To us, those are actually kind of odd-shaped cars. The curves and how big they are, and they're just, you know, big road hogs, those old cars from the 1930s. But what he saw, he said, were some strange-looking cars, odd-shaped cars, crowding the city streets. So there were cars all over the place. And it makes me think of these six-lane highways and freeways in Los Angeles and in California where it's bumper to bumper and you're not going anywhere, just packed and crowded. And I can't think of any other time in the history of the automobile where our cars look so much weirder than they probably ever have. And I would think that, you know, especially somebody from back in that time period. And then his description of the guys his age. So he would have been 17-ish in this vision in 1937. And these guys his age with beards. Guys, are you kidding me? Right now, that's what you do. The fashion is growing a beard. The fashion is wearing a beard. If you can't grow a beard, you buy a beard. I mean, that's just what it is. In 1937, you were a slob if you had a beard unless it was neatly trimmed and neatly kept. Today, we're living in the days of mountain man beards and Duck Dynasty beards. <laughs> but back then, it would have been such an odd sight to see young men with long beards and wild-looking hair and earrings, as he described. And then all the girls wore real short skirts, which they do, if you think about that, of course. And, of course, the, the Daisy Dukes and the little bitty shorts and the things that people wear, the young people wear in our modern time. And this is something that really got me, as he said, and they slouched along, moving like a dance. For me, that could mean several things, but if you'll watch how people walk today, especially in New York City, especially Los Angeles, big cities, big places, everybody has a phone. Everybody's got an iPad. Everybody has some sort of device they're looking at, messing with while they're walking, while they're jogging, while they're driving, while they're doing anything. Everybody's got a phone in their hand. And they're all, if you think about it, if you would just look, they're slouched over looking at this phone and not really paying attention to where they're going or what they're doing. And he says, and they slouched along move, moving like a dance. Now, I'm thinking of Los Angeles. And I'm thinking of the swag that people might walk with. I'm thinking about the swag that some of these younger guys would walk with today. You know, kind of like the gangster limp (laughs) and whatever swag. You know what I'm saying? You know how people walk today, young people? We did when I was younger. And you had to kind of had your own walk, your own attitude when you walked. Right? And this is what he saw. Apparently, 1937, nobody had any swag. They just walked like people. (laughs) but not in L.A. today. And you have to think about the population in L.A. today. Probably mostly Hispanic, probably mostly 
uh, African American. Sure, of course, there's 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 uh, white folks that are there, and um, you know Asian folks and all of that. But but predominantly in Los Angeles and L.A., depending on where he was, I mean, you're talking about a diverse culture that's got some swag when they walk and move. And if they're slouched over with their swag because they're on their iPhone, this perfectly matches what he saw. And I'm not sure how you can make that up in 1937, a 17-year-old kid. And what made me kind of laugh about this is where he said, I tried for a while that crazy kind of walk. He tried to walk like they were. He was trying to slouch over and probably do his best George Jefferson (laughs) swag walk down the sidewalk. And he said, I just can't. Apparently, you got to learn something like that. I'm just telling you guys, you can't make this kind of stuff up. It would be hard for me to imagine a 17-year-old kid making something like this up. In fact, in 1937, the thing that was in the rage was the cowboy era. So if anything, if he were to make something up, it would have been something Western-related. It would not have been a modern 2020, you know, 2000s-era societal culture. It would have been Fred Astaire. It would have been the early... John Wayne movies, Helltown, and all these movies that they would have made in the early 30s. And again, I just couldn't get over the beards and the culture that he saw. It matches today better than it ever could have matched any other generation. And the second thing I really wanted to look at and and talk about here was the fact that there were no birds. He emphasized over and over and over the stillness, the quietness That there were no birds. There were houses and he walked and walked and walked, but there were no birds. There was no wildlife at all, which is an extremely interesting detail. And I know that this is a topic that people have talked about for probably centuries, maybe more. Who knows? Can animals predict chaotic weather or events or things like that? Well, being from the the south of Arkansas and seeing animals and deer and all sorts of critters. Absolutely. Yes, they do. It's amazing how much animals respond and how in tune they are with barometric pressures, uh, weather patterns, cold snaps, cold fronts, warm fronts. It amazes me being here in Arkansas known for tornadoes, known for huge thunderstorms and so on. It's amazing to watch even the insect that precede a massive storm coming and the birds anticipating, knowing that that front, that pressure is coming and that insects will be in front of it and they're all in the air. It's, it's amazing to see how animals react because they're smart. That's what they do. They're so in tune with the environment and pressures and smells and sights and they have just an intuition, which people would have too if you actually would think about it. In fact, I was just reading about the tsunami that happened in Sri Lanka back in 2005-ish, I think. It was early 2000s. And there were eyewitness accounts that before the tsunami showed up, before it happened, that there were elephants that screamed and they ran for higher ground. Dogs refused to go outdoors. They refused to go outside. Flamingos, birds, they abandoned low-lying breeding areas. They just took off. Which is interesting. The bird populations left. They were gone. It was silent. Zoo animals rushed into their shelters and could not, could not be enticed to come back out. 
It's pretty amazing. Wildlife experts believe animals more acute hearing and other senses enable them to hear or feel the Earth's vibrations, tipping them off to approaching disaster long before people realize what's even happening. Pretty impressive. In fact, there's one report that even little bats <laughs> were frantically flying away hours before the tsunami hit. Isn't that amazing? Birds and animals sensing and knowing that a catastrophic event is happening. And that's exactly what Joe Brandt saw. And it was just fascinating to him. It was, it was fascinating that these birds, that it was so silent and it was almost eerie in his words. There was such a sil stillness, so quiet, and there was something missing. And again, those crazy kids, and he couldn't get over why they were walking like they were walking, how they were doing that. He couldn't get over how they were dressed. Why are they dressed like that? Sometimes, y'all, and that, this is kind of how you know when you're getting into a, the older generation, you look at what the kids are wearing <laughs> and you ask yourself the same question. What are they wearing? Why are they doing that, right? I can't even imagine a kid from 1937 looking at a person with a full beard down to his belly button and blue hair and earrings slunched over looking at an iPhone, probably with earbuds or headphones on. I can't even imagine what he must be thinking. What would you think, you know? And it's probably exactly the same thing we would think if we went back to 1937 and saw how they were dressed and saw how they acted it would be that big of a shock. I can't even, I still get shocked with people with blue hair. It's like, anyway, that's me. But I can't imagine what a 1937 kid from that era would think when he would see the youth of today and how they dress and what they do. Skinny jeans and big shoes and all of this stuff. What would he think? It's a pretty amazing beginning of this vision, knowing, sensing that something's coming and being right in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard, being right in the middle of L.A., and, and what's so awesome is him giving us details about the era, details about what he's seeing. That's what's amazing to me. Even if this was rent, written and printed in 1967, still nothing, nothing existed in 1967 like what exists being described in this dream. So you might ask me, well, do you believe this dream? Do you believe that this Joe Brant's a real guy? Do you believe this dream is legit? Do you believe all of that? And I have to say, after the research and looking at it, the language, my goodness, just what he saw that he, literally, guys, even five years ago, these big Duck Dynasty beards weren't popular five years ago. Everything is set for such a time and such a season. And I think it's so amazing how people see things and God gives them visions and dreams. And they're so detailed to specify societal, cultural phenomenons and things that are happening within an era, within a, a generation. It's so hard to mess that up. It's so hard to refute it because everything that he describes here when he was there in 1937 is exactly what's happening today all the way down to the beards and the slouchy walking and the swag and the all of those things the cars the weird odd shaped cars oh my wait till we get into this next episode where we talk about he literally sees what i consider to be a smart car which is just unheard of back then and unheard of for me even when i was a young adult when i was in high school we just thought that's a 
crazy. That's the dumbest looking thing or idea anybody's ever had. You can't do that. Well, here it is, though. So there's part one of Joe Brandt's dream of his vision, his 1937 vision of a coming huge catastrophic event on the West Coast and in California. And I, I really like this episode because it just details so much about what he saw and gives us a clue about the era, gives us a clue about about the era, about what he saw. Absolutely amazing. So let's call that a wrap on this podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk about some more things that he saw in the moment. It's called, if you will, the moment of the happening. And my goodness, there's so much in there that literally is happening. It's phenomenons that are taking place even right now, right now in Los Angeles, and many things that that are currently right now happening. Guys, and I think that's so why this podcast is necessary and why other voices out there are so necessary to warn people about what's already been prophetically spoken, what's already been said, what people have already dreamed and saw in visions, because it's so timely right now with the details of what they've seen. There's no other time in history I can think of, but right now that this is happening. So come on back with me this next episode and let's get back into this, into the second part of Joe Wendell Brandt's 1937 dream vision of this huge earthquake, this catastrophic event to take place in California. So until the next time, be awake, be aware, be ready, and we'll see you next time.